I am Aaron Gobb, the first legally blind visual athlete to play in a game, turned NFL free agent, now a motivational and keynote speaker. I connected with Pablo. He's an awesome guy who has a lot of value to share and connections to give others. And we connected through Brian Boger, who's also an incredible and inspirational person. Look them both up, connect with both of them, and, and you know, listen to this episode. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And today we got an interesting, interesting fellow to talk about. My new friend, Aaron Golub, who was the first person to ever start in a Division I football game as a legally blind person. And since then, he has made a career in finances. He's made a career as a motivational speaker, and we are going to dive into that mindset, get to know Aaron. Aaron, welcome to the Chief Executive Connector, man. How are you doing today, bro? Pablo, first, thank you so much for having me here. Excited to be a part of this, and you know, I'm, I'm doing really well. Things are, things are going well for me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and sharing my story. Likewise, man. I can't wait to hear it. You know, I prepped you before this interview, right? But I like to tell people that the quickest way to connect is to either add value to someone's life, which I'm sure this conversation is going to be full of, or if you share a vulnerability with somebody, right? It allows that person that's hanging out with us to, to understand kind of what you're made from and see maybe, maybe if you've shared some similar experiences. So if you don't mind, could you share with us something that you're either struggling with right now, something that you've struggled with in the past, so we can kind of dive into that vulnerability piece a little bit? Yeah. So I think for the vulnerability piece, I mean, I think it's probably pretty obvious, you know, being legally blind, I have no vision vision in my right eye and very limited in my left. And I think growing up until I found my place, you know, as a, you know, the right position, the right spot, the right, whatever you would want to call it, playing football. I think I definitely struggled with that for a while growing up until I got to that, you know, place where I had that confidence and that ability to, you know, turn it into an advantage and become successful using it. Interesting, man. You know, you you bring up something that was something I really wanted to get into, which was how you grow up and how the dynamic between you and other people that you meet has evolved, mm-hmm. right? Like I have I have a nephew who is 
borderline legally blind when he was when he was born we thought he was going to be legally blind and it, he's right there right he's like he's right on that cusp yeah. so i i can imagine growing up and the way that kids treated you through a certain age is different than they started treating you by the time you became this like historic figure in division 1 what was that like growing up was there a, was there like a seminal moment when the nature of your initial interactions with people changed or, or did it kind of gradually change? Has it changed? Am I just making a weird assumption here? You know, I don't know if it really did change a ton. I think that, you know, growing up, I was never the most athletic kid, the most confident kid. And I think that changed once I started to become better at football. I think I was always fortunate that, you know, I had a great friend group. I had, you know, people who supported me and were always behind me. But I think that throughout the years, my personality has changed and who I am has changed. And I think there's a big difference as who I was, you know, you know, elementary, middle school, early high school to who I became end of high school, college, and even now. And it just, you know, my personality and my confidence, I think at some point took a turn and, you know, it was along with me becoming, uh, you know, a division one athlete. Okay. Okay. Why? Well, I would imagine that let's get into that. Let's, all right. So let's start from the beginning and we'll just work that in, man. Were you, did you become blind late in life? Were you born blind? I was born, born. You were born blind. So as you are growing up as a kid, I would imagine that there was, you had to go to like special services to learn to read Braille and stuff like that. Did you have, did you have like a support structure? Was there a, was there a philanthropy involved with kind of bringing you up to speed? I learned a lot with my nephew that so many of our senses that aren't just vision develop based mm -hmm. on vision. Like, how did you, how did you get to the point where, you know, equality was, was something that, that you felt or, or, you know, you caught up to that? Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely, you know, I had other services kind of in school growing up, you know, I learned to read Braille, I learned all of that, but it was something that I was never really for. I was kind of against it. I wanted, didn't really, I wasn't really that into it. And, you know, by the time I think, you know, sixth, seventh grade, probably seventh grade, you know, I started doing all my work on a computer. You know, I brought a laptop to school every day and I just started using that. And it was honestly a million times easier first mm -hmm. off because I could blow everything up. I could have it read things to me. It just it was much more efficient, quicker, better. And, you know, that's how I really did work from that on. And it was a much, it, it was a much smoother and better process, honestly. Okay. All right. So that seems pretty seamless. So I guess, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the fact that there is software programs that make it so that if you have, you know, the, if you have some vision that, mm -hmm. that, that helps out, how did, how would you describe, how would you describe your home life? You got brothers and sisters. What were your parents like? Yeah. So my parents were always fantastic and very supportive. I have a sister as well, an older sister. And, you know, my parents, I think, always challenged me and, and, and would have rather seen me, you know, struggle a little bit to achieve something versus doing it, you know, completely for me because they knew, you know, that if they did everything for me at a young age, then I would have never learned to be self-sufficient and do things on my own. That makes a lot of sense. Can you give me, did you felt like they treated you different in any way or did they purposefully treat you the same way? And can you tell me kind of like the you know, I'm just very curious. As yeah. to how my nephew's No, I think, I think like, they, know? they did a very good job of treating me the same way as my sister yeah. and, and, and everyone else. I think, yeah. you know, I think that 
a lot of parents, I think, you know, for lack of a better kind of phrase, baby their kids if you have a disability or something. And it's because that they, you know, want to take care of them, want to help them. And, you know, that's great. You know, you need to help them in some instances. But I think that a lot of people don't challenge their kids enough when you have a disability. They don't they don't give them that opportunity to grow and to succeed on their own. And at the the end of the day, eventually, you know, I think that hurts them and it sets them back. I think I learned from a very young age that I need to be self-sufficient. I need to learn to do things on my own. And, you know, although I might've not seen it then, or, or, or you might not, no one might not have seen it then, but I think that played a huge role into, you know, allowing me to accomplish the things that I did later on in life. That makes a ton of sense, man. Would they talk to you about the fact that they're treating you the same because you have to like overcome this or would they, or is this something that you noticed later on in life that they took that approach? They would never really say anything. I think it's just like I, as I got older, I think I just knew, you know, it was something where, you know, if they, when I was a little kid did everything for me, then, you know, I wouldn't have been self-sufficient when I grew up. And and I think that was really important. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So, so you told me there was a moment where you changed, right? Like by the time you became a division one athlete, you had clearly changed. Mm-hmm. Would you say, I, I'll have to assume that there was an internal transformation that made you all of a sudden set this enormous goal. Would you say you always had these big goals growing up or was there like a moment in high school or middle school or something like that where you're like, you know what, I'm done dreaming small. I want to dream big. You know, I think I always wanted to, you know, do some incredible things, but, you know, let's put it this way, you know, every kid, you know, wants to be a you know professional athlete or something. Yeah. They always have that goal, you know? Yeah. And I think that the, really the turning point for me was in 10th grade. So sophomore year of high school, I was like a third string offensive and defensive lineman on the junior varsity team. And, and at that point, you know, if you're going to play division one football, you're either starting on varsity or, you know, playing a lot on varsity and getting looked at by schools even. And I was nowhere near that. And I just flips a switch flipped. And I was just like, you know what? I, I've had enough of this. I need to make a change. How can I, you know, play in college? How can I play division one football? What can I do? And I found long snapping. And I said, if I can get good enough at this, then maybe I'll have an opportunity. And then really from then on out, you know, I was up at 5 a.m. every day practicing long snapping before school. I was lifting weights every single day after school or after practice. And I was just doing the work that no one else was doing. And because of that, I got the results. Interesting, man. What about the decision to play football? When did, how did that come into play? That was in seventh grade. And so, you know, I had played a bunch of different sports growing up. Nothing really stuck. I wasn't really great at, at most sports. And you know, I wanted to find something that I could be a part of a team and, and play and contribute. And I found football. And I said, you know, I had always loved watching football. And, you know, it was something where I knew immediately I was never going to be a quarterback or a wide receiver. I couldn't catch a ball during a game. But at first, you know, at that age, it was, you know, play offense and defensive line, you know, hit the person in front of you, block them, run at them. You know, you're learning to play the game. It was fine. Okay. And then, you know, as I got older and things got more serious, you know, it got more challenging. And, you know, that's why I eventually switched to long snapping because it was something where, you know, if I really outworked everyone, then my vision wasn't going to stand in my way. Awesome, man. So, you know, long snapping, this is obviously not a sports related podcast. Long snapping is this very kind of technical thing that one does in order to send the ball back to the kicker at a certain distance. Um, And then you pop back up and you're kind of flanked by two guys that are kind of helping you, helping you block what, so you have some vision, right? Like legally blind doesn't mean that it's all lights out. Right. So like in that, in that close proximity, you can see reasonably well. 
Yeah. So my right eye is completely blind and my left eye, you know, I have, I have limited vision. And so within my left eye, I, I see some. And so, yeah, I mean like, Oh, let's, let's put it this way. You know, I can see enough to block someone, but you know, if, if, you know, we're talking on this podcast or even I'm standing, you know, a foot away from someone, I'm not going to be able to tell them like what color their eyes are or things like that, or like small, like, like smaller features, or, you know, I think the best way to put it is my, my vision in that eye. So I have, you know, the hole of vision that I see out of is probably the size of like half of a dime. Mm-hmm. And then from that hole, my vision is about 2,200 in that eye. And so what you would see or someone who has perfect vision would see at about 200 feet away, I would see it about 20 feet away. So if there was a sign that someone with 20-20 vision could see at 200 feet away, I'm not going to be able to read that sign till likely 20 feet away. Got it. So so you start putting in the work, right? Like you just, you set this big, hairy, audacious goal. You start putting in the work on a daily basis. When did it start feeling like it wasn't just a goal, that it wasn't a dream, that it was probably going to happen for you? I think summer between junior and senior year, I mean, I always had the confidence that I was going to do it, but I think summer in between junior and senior year, you know, I was going to long snapping camps and I was getting ranked, you know, pretty highly, you know, as one of the top long snappers in the nation. And, you know, I just had that notoriety and that ability to be like, you know, when I'm reaching out to colleges now, you know, I'm not just a random kid. I'm not a bad long snapper. I can reach out to them with my ranking, with my film and, and show them that I you know, deserve an opportunity and a chance to, to play. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then what happened? You know, I went through the recruiting process and, and for a long snapper, it's very different than most people anyways, you know, for the most part, unless you're you know one of the top one or two guys in the nation, you have to reach out to most of the colleges. And so I reached out to a ton of colleges, a ton of division one schools, and most people weren't interested or didn't get back to me. And, you know, eventually Tulane gave me an opportunity and I accepted and it was, you know, an incredible experience. And I loved, you know, going there and being a part of that team. How did you feel? So I imagine, I imagine that you enroll, did you enroll like spring semester before yourself? Were you like, did you go up there like summer and kind of get spring football in with the team? Did you show up freshman, freshman week as a regular student? Talk, talk so to me about showing I, up to college. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do spring football. You know, I had to finish high school. So it wasn't one of those people who, you know, was able to graduate in December, but you know, I finished high school in probably June and then I went up during the summer. So I was there, you know, a month or two before the regular kind of student body during, during kind of training camp and stuff like that. Okay. And what, so man, you know, I never, I never made a varsity team, right? Even though I'm like, I'm like very Mr. Camaraderie and very team, right? Like in like a pickup game, I'm just like, Mr. Yeah, we're all best friends. Right. Um, But, you know, I imagine, I imagine it comes, did it, did it inherently come with a crew? Like, like when you showed up to college, did you feel like day one, you had a crew? Did you have to work on that to like, have like your own click with inside the team. Like t- tell me about, tell me about that. I think, you know, I, I was able to build friends very quickly because of that. I mean, you go in a locker room and you're with a hundred other guys who regardless, you know, they're going to have your back because you're you know putting in the same work as them. You know, it, it's, it just, it becomes like a brotherhood. And then within that, you know, being a long snapper, you know, the kickers, punters, and long snappers were doing kind of our own thing at practice all together. And so that's an even kind of smaller group that, you know, I built that relationship with even quicker than the rest of the team. And because I'm with them every single day. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. Did you, did you ever feel being blind and on the team, right? Like being unique to me is a, is, is, is a very tactical advantage at times. It can also be a vulnerability, right? Like, did you, did you sense either an advantage or an, or a vulnerability for being different than everybody else? And I think that being legally blind is, is one of, if not the biggest advantage I've ever had. And really? I, first off, I'm so thankful that I am legally blind and I'm, I'm really thankful I am because it's allowed me to do incredible things and meet some amazing people. I don't think I would have played division one football. I don't think I would have been an NFL free agent. And I definitely wouldn't have been a speaker like I am today if I wasn't legally blind. And I just wouldn't have had that drive or maybe I would have had that drive, but I wouldn't have had the same story, the same, you, know, you don't know what would have been different. And so you can't change the past, but you can change the future. And so, you know, because of that, I think that it really led me to play division one football. I think it led me to become an NFL free agent, to become a speaker. And, you know, I wouldn't have changed a thing. If I could go back to birth, I, I would not give myself full vision. Wow. What, did you always feel that way? Probably not. You know, I think that that probably developed over time and, and through maturity, but you know, it's, it's something that you know, probably most people don't think and don't believe, but when you can come to that realization, you know, I think that it allows you to accomplish more because you have an understanding. You're not kind of feeling sorry for yourself. You, you realize that, you know, I'm so thankful that this is, you know, the way it is because, you know, you can't really affect what has happened in the past, but there's, there's no limit to what you can do in the future. Interesting, man. That is, that's a, that's a really remarkable perspective. I, I, I've heard you share that before, and I was hoping that we'd get to that point, man. Because, you know, that that level of optimism, right? That level of acceptance for everything that you are, and you know, like really wholly buying into it without without a burden, you know, without a without a chip on the shoulder, man. Like, like I think that is such a freeing kind of way to be in life, man. So what? What would you say, what would you say is your superpower? I think, you know, I'm willing to put in the work that no one else is willing to do. And I can do that without caring what other people think. Hmm. I think that so many people get caught up in others' opinions and worrying about what they think of them or what they think about what they're doing. And to be honest, I don't care. You know, people thought that I was ridiculous for trying to play division one football, you know, if you let it affect you, then it's going to limit your behaviors, your work ethic, everything you do on a daily basis, you know, and when you can learn to tune it out and not, not focus on it, then that's when you'll be successful because then you can truly focus on what you want to accomplish. I mean, even today, you know, I have a lot of really big goals in the, in the, in the business world, in the speaking world, with my podcast, with everything I have going on. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people or some people, think that some of them are ridiculous and that's okay. They can have their own opinion, but to be honest, I don't care. I focus on what I can control and not what others can control, not what others think, because you know, it, it doesn't matter. Well, the only thing that matters is what I can control and what I can do by believing in myself. Yeah, man. I, you know, when you say that it's pretty, it's clear to kind of delineate that you had to learn that at an early age or else you wouldn't be who you are, right? Like you wouldn't, if, if, if you cared what other people think, I'm sure that I find in life that the people closest to you often don't have the same priorities you have. Often the people that love you the most want you to be safe. Mm -hmm. And if your priority is to grow, 
that is kind yeah. of in a juxtaposition of safety, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you experience that? Did you experience that growing up? It sounds like your parents enabled you pretty well, man. Like, did you experience yeah. that growing up at all? Do you experience that now? I think that there's a lot of, I mean, that's very true. I agree with you. And I think that a lot of people, you know, were hesitant to me playing football, were hesitant to me playing in college or playing division one football, whatever it may be, because they wanted to protect me. They wanted me to be safe. You know, even today, you know, I am, everything I'm doing is very entrepreneurial. And so, you know, the more I work, the more I make them. Also, I have, you know, a lot of freedom to do what I want, to work how I want, when I want, you know, as long as I want. But at the same time, you know, with everything I do, it costs money in order to make money. And so, you know, that's another thing where, you know, I'm sure a lot of parents just want their kids to have something where it's you know, really steady, really income oriented, you know, where they have a paycheck every, every other week and it's, it's fine. It's perfect. And they probably worry about this, but, you know, I'm willing to take risks and, and bet on myself and do things that, you know, are not the, the norm because I know what I, you know, the, the time, the money, the effort that I put into everything I have going on will pay off down the road. Yeah, man. Is that a, is that a muscle? Like, is that, is that like self-assurance that forget what people think? I know what I want. Is, is that a muscle? Is that something that you feel like you're wired to do? Do you feel yourself getting stronger at that? I think that it's definitely developed over the years. I think that I, I had it kind of in high school to a certain extent. I had it on the football side of things, but you know, I think that I didn't understand what it was or didn't realize necessarily why I didn't care as much on that, but it, it wasn't necessarily into effect in all areas of my life. Maybe I cared about what people's opinions were in other areas. And then as time went on in college and, and now, I mean, like, I, I really just don't care because it doesn't, there's no, no need in worrying about other people's opinions. And, and I don't want people to take that the wrong way. Like I do care to an extent, like I have, I have mentors, I have people who work with me, coaches, people like that, that I truly care about their opinions and their advice. And, you know, if they tell me, you know, that was a stupid thing to do, or you need to change this, or you did really well here. Like, of course I want to hear their opinions and I listen to their opinions. But my point is the overall majority of people, it doesn't matter what they think because the only thing that matters is kind of controlling what you can control. And I think that is definitely, you know, it's a muscle, so to speak. And like, I think I had that to an extent in high school, like I said, but I think it's a lot stronger and, and involved in like my entire life now. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. What do you, have you created a framework around who you listen to and who you don't listen to? Like, how do you, how do you pick who those people are that you, that you care about their opinion, right? Like, how do you, how do you filter out the noise and cut through, you know, the substance of what you need to listen to that isn't your own internal compass? Based on someone's personality, based on how successful they've been and what they're doing and successful does not necessarily mean how much money they've made. I, I want people to a hundred percent get that, you know, in their head, success is not related to money that can be a part of success, but is not all of success by any means. And so you know, I think just, you know, those two factors, success and personality, you know, who I trust, who I put my belief and faith in really is, is the determining factors. What kind of personality do you, do you bestow that honor to? Like, what do you look for there? I think someone who's willing to go after what they want, someone who is confident, someone who, you know, focuses on all areas of life. I mean, look, someone can make, you know, 
millions and millions of dollars a year, but not be successful if they're, you know, physically completely out of shape. They have a bad relationship with their family and their friends, and they're just kind of all on their own. And that's not the type of person I want to be. So why would I trust them? Why would I listen to them? Why would I work to become them? I mean, you want to focus on someone and, and trust and you know, learn from someone who's successful, you know, on the business side, but on the you know physical fitness side and their relationships, you know, in, in all areas of their life. That makes sense, man. So it's, so for you, it's very much people that have the qualities that you admire, you trust. Yeah, exactly. Or it's not, achieve it's not the things that you want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense, man. Well, all right, let's, let's pivot here. What, so you are well-spoken dude, good looking dude. You, you played football. You, you were a captain at Tulane. When's the first time that somebody asked you to get up in front of a, in front of an audience and give a motivational speech? So senior year of high school was when I started getting a lot of publicity because of football, because of my commitment to Tulane. And I think the first real like big thing I ever did was May or June of my senior year, I got flown to New York to go on to Good Morning America. And it was one of those things where it was essentially become a decent or a good public speaker overnight because it was sink or swim. It was something I was not prepared for. I was not ready for. I was a 17-year-old kid. I was probably scared. I was probably nervous. And I probably didn't know what I was doing. And I'm sure I made a lot of mistakes, but I took the jump. And you know, at the end of the day, when people are put in a position to sink or swim, they usually swim. And I think that's really how I you know, started off learning to become a decent speaker. Got it, man. So what's prep for Good Morning America like? Like, I mean, you know, I think prep for Good Morning America now versus yeah. eight years ago yeah. was very different. You know, like back then when I was 17, I didn't, I didn't do much prep. You know, I flew out the night before I went yeah. to the studio the next morning, they got me ready. I went on stage and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. They're going to ask me questions and I'll answer them. Whereas like now I would be very, you know, I'd be very relaxed. I'd be very calm. I would dress very differently. I would, you know, have conversations with people before I'd be in a great mood. I'd be, you know, enthusiastic. I'd just be so calm and relaxed. I'd go out there and I'd speak and I'd do, you know, the same preparation I do for a normal speech. But, you know, that comes through time. You know, 17 Aaron, 17 year old Aaron is very different than 24 year old Aaron. For sure. For sure. You're 24 now, right? So what's your, what's your preparation for speech look like now, man? What's your, what's your, what's your process? Like, give me, give me your process of you've, you've got a speech, you've got a, you know, you're, you're about to take a big stage in a month. What's your process like a month out? I think a month out, it just, you know, learn about the event, learn about the types of people, you know, I have kind of a tailored speech that I typically do. And then I, or a speech I typically do, but then I want to tailor it specifically to the crowd or to the who's there or the audience. And so just learn about them, learn about what is needed, learn about what is required for that opportunity and how I can best suit that, that group. You know, it's not something that really takes a ton of time because most speeches are fairly similar, but you want to make sure that it's unique to that exact group. And so, you know, it does take some time and I need to prepare for it, but it's not something that I ever stress it out because I love talking. Do you have like, do you have your speech broken out in a way where you know which parts are the parts that are good for tailoring to certain people and that's where you sub it? Or every time 
you kind of give the speech and you, tr- you do some research and then you practice the speech and you try to insert stuff. Like what's that mm. process like? You know, I think it depends. So like, let's put it this way. So when, when I talk to a sports team, it's very different than if I talk to a sales team at a company, mm-hmm. you know, if I talk to, if I go back and talk to Tulane football, I'm going to hammer it on football and how to succeed in the weight room, how to succeed on the field and what you need to do there. But if I talk to a sales team, okay, yes, I'll touch on it. And I'll definitely talk about my experience playing football, but I'm going to talk about principles to succeed more. You know, your morning routine, your daily non-negotiables, things like that, that you really need in the business world versus the football world. And so it's, it's similar speeches, but just like, what area do I touch on more? You know, it's not going to benefit the sales team if I talk for 45 minutes about you know, this is what you need to, you need to work hard in the weight or you need to work hard on the field. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. so you need to figure out exactly what the crowd is and then just pick, you know, just change a little bit the environment of the speech, essentially. Do you, do you rehearse the speech a couple of times before you go? Or you've given it so much time that you don't want to overthink it. I think I just, I, I, I go over what I want to do in the speech. I think there was a time for a while I was rehearsing speeches before. I don't really rehearse anymore before. I mean, to be honest with you, and, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I think what I do is practice and prepare and understand the group that I'm talking to yeah. and then go out and just do a speech, but throw those things in it and change my speech to have those in it. And I think I, you know, I've done my speeches so many times that it's not something that I need to sit there and practice, you know, 15 times. Yeah, man, that makes a lot of sense, dude. So, so, you know, to me as a fanatical relationship builder, as a communication nerd kind of thing, like it really is just about the audience, right? Like the more yeah. you know about the audience, the more that you're going in there thinking about them, yeah. the sto- your story is the same, right? Like your story is not going to change, but it's like, how can you contextualize it to them? So it makes a ton of sense that you're so used to telling your story yet. If you just tweak that extra 5% or 10% or, or however much it ends up being, that then it lands a completely different way and you're able to, to speak on that message. hundred percent. Yeah, man. So you mentioned a couple of things. So, you know, before this call, I was talking about word of the year and whatever, right. I've never really done that before, but this year I'm doing it right. Like this year, my word of the year is discipline. And it comes from the idea that it's, it hasn't been until I've, I've always had great expectations upon me, right? Like I, I think I come across a certain way of, I was born on third base to a certain extent and, and I have some natural gifts that everybody around me has always seen big things coming my way. And I never, for a long time, for my own fault, never really felt that worthy of it. So I always kind of shunned it. And it's really been the last three years that I'm really embracing it, right? Like I'm, I'm really, really embracing seeing myself in front of a boardroom that like, you know, I see myself in this like semi-industrial office space, giving like a state of the union speech to 45 employees, reinforcing core values. And, and, and I bring all this background up to say that the reason why I'm really buying into discipline now is because while I used to be able to get away with natural talent, I, I now know that that meat I was leaving on the bone by just really counting on natural talent the way that I'm really going to get that meat off the bone is by embracing discipline. And the first thing I'm working on is morning routine. So I would love to hear your thoughts on morning routine, your morning routine, how you talk about it. Give it to me, bro. No, hundred percent. So I think that a morning routine is what really sets you up for the day. I think it's something that it, it really can make or break your day. And so 
you know, first off, I, I wake up on time. You know, people say, you know, wake up at five, wake up at five thirty, wake up at six, whatever that is, and stick to that. I say wake up on time. Yes, most of the time I wake up at five a.m. and that's what I like to do. But the reason why I say wake up on time in my non-negotiable morning routine is because you know some nights if I go to bed really late, you know, if I'm not gonna if I'm gonna go to bed at one, okay, waking up at five is not you know it's not gonna be a productive day. So maybe waking up on time for me that day is waking up at seven a.m. But for the most part, waking up on time means 5 a.m. and trying to stick to that. From there, I get up, I go to the gym. You know, right now I usually have to work out at home, unfortunately, but go to the gym, get a great workout in, have yourself that, you know, accomplishment, that win before the day starts really early. Go home, take a cold shower, get yourself present and ready for the day, you know, meditate, do a gratitude exercise. And then usually what I do is I have breakfast and then I, you know, read or put on audible while I'm going to work or getting ready for work or eating breakfast and then, you know, dive into the day. All right. All right. So sounds like a lot of the stuff I'm doing these days, right? Like I've got this, like, I'm telling myself, number one, I got this like five for five kind of mentality, right? Like I want to be doing these five things at least five times a week, right? Like I, I do wake up. I generally wake up between five and five thirty, right? I like I like to wake up on time contextualization because I do like the idea that, yeah, man, some some days your body needs rest, right? And you're gonna And, you're and gonna yeah, s- and so one thing that I have is I, I wear an aura ring every single night when I go to sleep. And mm-hmm. so it tells me, you know, my sleep score, how how much recovery recovery I had, how many hours I slept. And if that aura ring ever says in the morning, you know, I'm really in the red, you know, my score is a sixty percent or something, I'm going back to sleep. That's a non-negotiable for me because I'm not going to be able to function the rest of the day. And I'll just say, you know what, I'll either, I'll, I'll work out later in the day. I'll figure it out, but I can't, I can't function unless it's at kind of like a certain threshold of score and 95% of the time I'm fine and I can get up and I can go, but you know, that 5%, that 3%, whatever amount of time it's really in the red or something. And I know I need rest. Well, then I need rest. What is, is aura ring? Is that a type of thing? Is that a brand aura? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So I, I'm wearing it right here. It's a ring. Um, okay. And you can just look it up online and essentially it tracks, I mean, it tracks your activity. You can track your activity on it. I don't wear it when I lift just because it's metal and it gets in the way of like a bar, but you know, you wear it when you sleep and it gives you kind of you know, all the hours and the details. Like it's insane. The amount of numbers it spits out with like your sleep, um, and your recovery and rest and all of that. And it, it really gives some amazing matrix to help you figure out, you know, how to improve your recovery and, and where you are at. Hmm. Okay, cool, man. I'm gonna have to check that out. Or I'm gonna check that out. Um, you mentioned non-negotiables a couple of times, you know, you have a, you have this like non-negotiable morning routine. Do you have other non-negotiables in your life? Yeah. So I have non-negotiables for business every day and those, those switch, you know, those switch on you know a monthly basis or sooner if, if it's better to do so, but really it's just things of like, what small actions move the needle closer to my goal today? If, if everything else is a mess, what things do I need to accomplish to get close to my goal? And it's not like it's hard things. It's simple things. It could be as simple as I need to send out X amount of messages on LinkedIn. I need to, you know, post this on Instagram, make one post on Instagram. It's, it's not massive things. It's small things that you need to do every day to move the needle forward that compound over time. 
So you set, so you have flexible non-negotiables, but it's non-negotiable that you have non-negotiables that you set. Is that kind of what I mean? Well, so it's, 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 it's non-negotiable that I have them. So like right now I have like six and these six are probably going to be my non-negotiables for a while for, for business. I mean, they, I, I think I, I, re, I look at them every month and if I need to redo them at the beginning of a month, then I'll add their takeaway or whatever it may be, depending on how the time goes. But, you know, I've definitely had times where two weeks into a month, you know, it's really just reacting really quickly and, and understanding because if you're doing a non-negotiable and you've done it for the first two weeks of the month and you said, you know what, this doesn't make sense in my business anymore. Or this isn't producing results. So I'm going to switch it out for this instead then you need to be able to understand that and then switch that non-negotiable. What are, can, do you mind sharing the six that you got right now? Yeah. So some of them are, you know, sending out certain messages on LinkedIn a, a day, responding to all messages that come into me on, on all platforms, whether it be LinkedIn, Instagram, email, things like that, you know, specific software that I have on, on certain social medias to help me get in touch with certain people, you know, posting on days that I need to post. I post on LinkedIn every day. So that's one of my non-negotiables posting my, you know, Instagram and podcast when on the days that I need to post that. Yeah. And then just like, you know, outreach for, you know, certain amount of e- amount of emails a day, a uh, certain amount of like catch up connections with just like people who I'm you know friendly with just to stay in touch, stay in their lives. So it's, it's, it's really simple things. It's just, you know, doing them. Yeah. So, so sounds like they're all process oriented relationship builders. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, for the most part it is, you know, things like posting on LinkedIn or posting on Instagram, that's not directly relationship builder, but you know, it, it does strengthen it because, you know, say I post on Instagram, oh, Pablo sees it, he likes it. Okay. You know, it's not a direct message, but it, it moves our relationship forward in a sense. And so, yeah, most of them are geared towards developing relationships because if you develop relationships, that leads to friendships, your friends become your clients, your clients become your friends. Yeah, man. Like, I, listen, I, for me, my whole thing, and I'd love to, I would love to get to how you approach content creation and content posting and, and, and what your podcast is all about. Cause to me, that was the big aha moment of my life, right? Like I, I've just always been seeking connection, been seeking belonging and community and whatnot. And I realized that content creation is relationship building scaled on steroids, whatever you want to call it, right? Like it, it to, to, to me, that's what it is. Every time I'm posting out into the universe, I use that as this is a data point. This is the same as me telling somebody, hey, what's up? You look good today. Or, hey, I think this is a good piece of advice. Or like, I think I can help you with this. Who's interested, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I see it as a, like a wide net of feedback mechanism yeah. and, and, a, and, a, and an approach to add value, which at the end of the day is the way you build relationships, right? 100%. Um, What's your, what's your podcast about, man? What's your strategy there? Yeah. So my podcast is called blind ambition and it's really focused on, you know, overcoming obstacles, you know, breaking past challenges and and accomplishing your goals. And and to be honest with you, it's really focused on bringing on people that I want to connect with, that I want to network with. You know, I started it because I was going on a lot of other people's podcasts and I figured not only can I use it as a platform to share other people's stories, but such a good networking tool. It just allows me to meet new cool people that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had an opportunity to get in touch with them if it wasn't for my podcast. And it helps to build, you know, long lasting relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Like I, 
I see podcast. <laughs> I've never thought of it this way, but I see podcast as people see golf. Like really at the end of the day, golf is just an opportunity to spend four hours yeah. with somebody. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, um, exactly. to, and, and, and you can reach out to CEOs and invite them to Pebble beach. And guess what? They give you a yes. Right. Like when you got a, when you got a podcast, you're like, Hey man, I got a free pass to, to the Jacksonville country club or, or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like, I never really thought it, I, you know, I've definitely thought of it as a relationship building tool. I've never really contextualized it as a golf game, but yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I think it's the most powerful. It's the most powerful networking tool I have ever found yep. in a world where all I give a shit about is networking. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. It, it allows me to you know really build relationships and, and meet some amazing people. You know, some of which, you know, sometimes I go on other people's podcasts either before it or after it. Sometimes it leads to business opportunities. It just, you never know what's going to come from it. And, you know, I really only try and have on people that I, I truly have, you know, I hop on a call with someone, we click, we de develop a relationship and, and I think that it can lead somewhere. And, and I, you know, I, I do it with people who I want to, you know, build that relationship with. It's not just, you know, I have a podcast with someone because, you know, I want to have them on. It's someone who I think that we can really add value to one another. Totally, man. Totally. And that, you know, like I always end up getting into like how, how I met with people, but that's basically it, right? Like I've, through the podcasting world, I've created, I created a relationship with Brian Bogert, who then introduced me to you. And we're like, talk to each other. We're like, Ooh, we should have each other on each other's podcasts. And it's like, yeah. what other, what other, where do you live? Austin, Massachusetts. Yeah. So like where, what other world do like a 24 year old guy and a 40 year old guy, one that lives in Boston, one that lives in Jacksonville with some overlap outside of the fact that we're good dudes, like, yep. you know, in, in different worlds, what, what, what excuse do we have to become yeah. friends? And it's perfect. And what's, what's really interesting. And I found over the past, like 12 months or so, you know, really like nine months since I started my podcast, but like or like six months, even I started it like in the summer, but anyways, that's beside the point. I've, I've really built a lot of relationships with people who are anywhere from 10 to 20 years older than me. Yeah. And I don't know why, I don't know. It just, it, it's really interesting how that's worked, yeah. but the whole point of it is like, I really like to surround myself with people who are further along in their careers than me and more successful than me because I can learn from them. And I think that's really important. You know, if I was reaching out solely to people who are 24, 25, 26 years old and, you know, in the same spot in their career or maybe behind where I am, you know, I'm not going to learn anything from them. And so because of that, I've built a lot of relationships with people who are a lot older than me. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that that at your age, that is the right attitude. I think the the fabric of a well-functioning society is intergenerational relationships. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, 100%. as the older you get, the more you're going to also have to lean into the younger people, right? Like I, like I, I very deliberately have a bunch of 24 year old friends. Right? Oh, 100%. And, yeah. and it's, it's important. And it's like, obviously I have some people who are younger on the podcast as well, if they yeah. have a story to tell, but yeah. I feel like for the most part, people who are around my age don't have you know, the full story, you know, I do find some totally. people with it, totally. but I think a lot of the time they're still figuring out their life, figuring out what they want to do. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that, Yeah. but it's just, they're not maybe right there to share that with my audience yet. Yeah. Listen, on a real level, people's full, people's frontal cortex don't fully come online until 25. Right. So when you yeah. say that they haven't fully written their story yet, it's, it's a biological fact, right? Yeah. Like you just happen to be miles ahead because life has initiated you in another way that's made you a super deep dude. And again, in another super nice macro window here, 
you having a podcast allows you to connect with a tribe that's on your wavelength, regardless of what age you're at, you know? So, so I think it's a beautiful thing. Like, I love it, man. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I mean, for anyone out there who's looking for ways to network or to build on their relationships, start a podcast. Like there's no pressure. You can literally just start it with a camera, download one of those like different podcasting apps, start recording. It, there's, it doesn't need to be amazing quality. You know, as time goes on, obviously you want to get it better and better, but you start doing it. There's yeah. build so many relationships. Yeah. Yeah, man. I talk to a lot of young people that are just like, man, if I want to connect with older people, like everybody talks about value, what value do I have to give? And I'm like, first of all, when you're younger, curiosity is a value that you give older yep. people, right? Like older people are intrigued by the curiosity of the younger generation, right? Like somebody has given you that respect as an older person, you're already giving them value. And then if you multiply that by curiosity that you're putting on a stage, because it is a a podcast at the end of the day is a stage, right? Like it is a, is is a communication method of one to many. Now you're compounding that you're compounding that value that you're bringing to the relationship right off the bat. It opens doors, right? hundred percent. Yeah, man. I love it, man. And I love that you're on that kick, dude. All right, man. Are you ready for the lightning round? Pow, 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 pow. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what do you order? I think my favorite restaurant right now is probably this restaurant called Girl 23 in Boston. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the steaks there. Their, their Kobe beef steak is, mm. is incredible. Mm, nice, dude. I'm on a, I'm on like a 30 day cleanse. I'm not eating red meat. So you just make my, my mouth. Water right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> All right. What content are you most into right now? This could be a podcast. This could be an audiobook. This could be whatever like series, Netflix and chill du jour you're into. Like what, con- what content is affecting you right now that you're into? Yeah, no, I think my favorite podcast, I, I mean, I listen to Ed Milet's podcast all the time. I think that he brings on some amazing guests and it's always some incredible podcast, incredible content. Yeah. I love, I love listening. I like it when it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, like he's got this, like, he's got these like really guttural, almost like creepy, like, Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. I like him. I love that man. Good interview. I loved his interview with uh, Jesse Yetzler. That was probably one of my yeah. Another dude I love Jesse Yetzler. All right. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. 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 All right. What is something, oh man, this is funny, dude. Cause the, the question here is what is something you were sure about in your twenties that you no longer believe, but you're, you're a young man in your twenties still. What is something that you previously thought was a fact that you no longer believe? I think that's a really good question. I mean, it's harder for you at 24, right? Like, like this yeah. is, this no, is no, made, it's, this it's, is made to show people that like who you were at 24 isn't who you're going to be later or, or whatever. Right? No, I, I think it's, I think it's a really good question. I think, it, you know, I think that work needs to be hard. Mm-hmm. I think is, is a really good one. I think that I used to believe that the harder you work, the more successful you'll be. And that is true to an extent you need to work hard and you need to, to, to put your time in. But I think the concept of working 20 hours a day every day is absolutely ridiculous. I think that you need to be able to have a balance. It's the same, the same thing about how I said, you know, who do I look up to? People who are successful in these different areas. And so I think now I, I you know, through a lot of the relationships I've built, you know, I think of my life into a few different areas. So it's mind, body, spirit, and business. And when you focus in on all of those areas, then you're truly fulfilled and you're truly successful. But when you only focus on business, you're not happy, you're not successful, you're not fulfilled. And I think that the way I used to be, even though it might not have been that long ago, since I'm only 24, was focus on business and work, work, work. And that's not the case. 
That's good, man. That's good. I um, so I'm like super deep into Jim Collins's kind of like stuff. I don't, you know who he is? The guy that wrote Good to Great. I I know the book. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So 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 he's real quick. Rope. You know, Good to Great is kind of his most famous thing, but he's like he's the seminal business researcher and you know formula of what is a successful enduring business made of kind of guy. And he's for like 25 years, he's been researching his question that he's asking is how do you build an enduring, impactful company? Right. And he just closed the chapter on that. He's researching something else. But by doing in doing that, he went and took his first book, Beyond Entrepreneurship, which he did with his mentor who who passed away not that long ago, and updated it all with like his body of work. So now it's like become this like Bible of how you build a successful business with everything that he's ever done. And one of the core tenets of the book is that you need to be relationship based not transaction based yeah. right so like so like that idea of you know you can't just care about business <laughs> right like is i don't know it just echoed with me i probably yeah. didn't need to go that deep into no 100% that. yeah yeah all right what's your favorite piece of advice to give or what is you know the best advice somebody's ever given you that you like to repeat I think things in life happen for you and not to you and trust the process because, you know, like I said before, my, my vision, I'm so thankful for it and it happened for me for a reason. And when you can learn to understand that, that things happen for you, the challenges in your life happen for you, not to you, then you'll be happier. You'll be able to build on your life. You'll be able to create much more success a lot faster. Awesome, man. Awesome. Before I ask you your last question here, uh, Aaron, this is your chance to promote whatever you want, your social media channels, whatever you got a book or, you know, like whatever yeah. your email list, what, what, yeah. whatever you want to promote people to get in contact. Yeah. With so first go to my website, AaronGall.com. You can see kind of my speaking book me to speak uh, on there. You can also find my links to my podcast, blind ambition. It's on, you know, Apple, Spotify, all, all of the different platforms. And then Instagram at Aaron J. Golub. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, really anywhere. Just send me a message. I'm happy to connect. Nice, dude. What is, uh, real quick, what's your, when you send people to your podcast, what's like your favorite episode? Like, do you ever, if someone's like, I want to check out my, your podcast, what's the best episode to go check out? Do you have one that's like the one that describes you the best or your favorite interview that you've ever had? Where, where I've brought someone on my podcast? Yeah. Just like, a, like if you're gonna I, if you're gonna turn somebody onto your podcast, what episode do you put? You know, I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite. You know, for those of you listening to this, Pablo will be on soon, so his will probably be the best. So yeah, boy. <laughs> okay, cool. Sounds good. I'll accept that because because I'm an egomaniac. All right, Aaron, what's where do you find community? I think that through building relationships, through. You know, I have a small circle of people who I talk to on a very regular basis, but then I, I spend a lot of my days networking and, and creating new relationships. You know, I never wake up in the day and I say, how can I make more money? How can I bring in a new client? How can I get a new speaking gig? I say, how can I create new relationships or add new relationships with a couple of new people today? And if you do that day over day over day, eventually you're going to build on those relationships. You're going to get the money you want. You're going to get the clients you want. You're going to get the opportunities you want. But I think being very relationship oriented instead of money oriented has led to a lot for me. Beautiful, bro. Beautiful, man. Aaron, I want to thank you for being here, dude. I, you know, on a very particularly personal level, talking to a guy like you, I can't wait to send this to my nephew, Danny, right? Like I, I, I think just resetting expectations and breaking barriers and what you're doing for the visually impaired community is something that is very, very near and dear to my heart. 
I love talking to a 24-year-old sharp guy, regardless of you know whether whether they're blind or not, man. Like the like yeah. I think I think we need more more men like you in the world. And I love, I love where this generation is going, man. I am so long on your generation and I love seeing leaders like you coming through. And if I can ever help you in any way to get wherever you need to go, man, please count on me as an ally, dude. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer, and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.